According to a tally by the Associated Press, more than 2,500 lawsuits were filed during the last year, utilizing the one-year window provided by New York's Adult Survivor Act, which allowed for sex abuse lawsuits to be filed even after the statute of limitations had expired and was modeled after a 2019 law that allowed lawsuits to be brought specifically in cases where the victim was a child, leading to nearly 11,000 lawsuits before that window closed in August of 2021. With a look-back window for the Adult Survivors Act expiring in late November, we want to look back on the effect of the measure to date and consider whether additional time should be granted for bringing lawsuits in the future. To do that, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Michael Pollenberg, Vice President of Government Affairs at Safe Horizon, a victim services group which pushed for the Adult Survivors Act. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. So for starters, why was it important to adopt the Adult Survivors Act in the first place and create a special time period for bringing lawsuits that would otherwise no longer be uh, allowed as a result of expired statutes of limitations? You know, it was important to pass the Adult Survivors Act because it's important to acknowledge that trauma takes time and to expect survivors to come forward right away in the aftermath of a sexual assault is not realistic. We have found in doing this work that for many survivors, it can take years or decades to be able to come forward to acknowledge what happened and to seek help and to consider legal action. The statute of limitations, however, was very limiting. Um, For most survivors, it was between one and three years. So the Adult Survivors Act created this one-year look-back window to allow time-barred survivors to consider whether or not to bring civil litigation forward, to meet with an attorney, to meet with family, uh, and to be able to have the chance to hold the person who harmed them accountable in a court of law. And accountable to, to what end? To make them pay financially, to expose what they've done if it hasn't been exposed in court, or to achieve some other end? Well, I think it's really many things. I mean, certainly survivors are seeking to be made whole financially as a result of the sexual abuse that took place. That's what our civil justice system does. But it's also about shining a light on the prevalence of sexual abuse, whether it happened in a doctor's office, whether it happened in a correctional facility. And just to that point, our hope is that it will lead to real, lasting, meaningful change in doctor's offices, in correctional facilities, and other institutions where for too many years sexual abuse was tolerated or or folks turned a blind eye and, and somehow thought maybe it wasn't happening when in fact it was happening all over the place and all over the state. The majority of the cases filed under the Adult Survivors Act, in fact, are filed on behalf of formerly incarcerated New Yorkers. Um, And we hope that this will lead to the kind of change in our jails and prisons where sexual abuse becomes an artifact of the past. Yeah, I was really struck by the number of cases brought against institutions more broadly, whether it's Rikers Island or, say, Columbia University. And you talk about hoping to see change. Are you beginning to see institutions or large entities in general making any sort of systemic changes as a result of these cases? Or are they all sort of circling the wagons at this point as they brace for you know potential big payouts that they're going to have to give? I think for the Adult Survivors Act, it may still be too early to know. Uh, We certainly hope that there will be real change. But if you look at cases filed under the Child Victims Act in New York, but also, you know, comparable laws in other parts of the country, um, there has been change. I think about Dr. Nasser in Michigan, where he uh, sexually abused countless numbers of gymnasts. 
I think University of Michigan will have a much different, and ha- I'm sure they have different policies in place to safeguard against something like that happening. That when there's an outcry, when people are saying that didn't feel right when I went to the doctor, that there is going to be heightened attention paid and steps taken to ensure that sexual abuse can't take place, whether again it's in a doctor's office or in jails and prisons. So how do you judge then the success of the law? You talked about the institutional changes that you're looking for, but are there other outcomes that you want to see as the result of this law in order to prove that it was worth it? I think it's important that the laws of New York reflect in a more holistic way the experiences of survivors of sexual abuse. The experiences that survivors have and the laws on the books, there was a mismatch. Uh, survivors had a very short period of time to be able to come forward to make a report. We were talking earlier in 2019, not only did the legislature pass the Child Victims Act, which created a look-back window for adult survivors of child sex abuse and extended the criminal and civil statutes of limitations forward for child sex abuse cases, but the legislature also passed a law to extend the criminal and civil statutes of limitations forward for a host of felony sex offenses, including rape in the sex second degree, rape in the third degree, and other crimes. And then you have the Adult Survivors Act uh, in 2022. All of this taken together shows the legislature looking at the laws on the books, looking at the experiences of survivors, understanding that there's a mismatch, and making thoughtful changes to our laws to make it more possible for survivors to be able to have the time they need to come forward to report a crime. Well, for listeners just joining us, uh, we're talking about the uh, Adult Survivors Act, uh, and our guest is Michael Pollenberg, Vice President of Government Affairs at Safe Horizon, a victim services group. So as I mentioned earlier, the window for bringing these cases expired in, in late November, right around the Thanksgiving holiday. Do you think the window should be extended for additional lawsuits, either because people didn't know about their rights or because, as you said, it takes time to decide that you want to bring a lawsuit and maybe they just weren't ready in that given period? I think the legislature, when they reconvene in January, will be looking at uh, just such a bill. I don't believe there's a bill in place right now. This is, again, continuing this theme of trying to create more pathways to justice, whether in criminal proceedings or in civil court, for survivors. I know there's a bill, for example, to eliminate the statute of limitations altogether on uh, sex crimes committed against children. Maybe that's the kind of effort that will move forward in the coming year. We'll have to wait and see what the legislature does. Right. So that's, you know, the commentary on what the legislature might do. But from your perspective and from, you know, the Safe Horizon wish list, do you want to see the window extended? I think any greater opportunity for survivors to be able to come forward and seek justice in a court of law is, is can only be a good thing. So then, as you sort of touched on there with the other avenues that might be pursued, does it make sense to have any sort of statute of limitations at all when it comes to bringing these civil lawsuits stemming from sex abuse allegations? You know, in 2006, the legislature eliminated the statute of limitations altogether on a handful of serious felony sex offenses, including rape in the first degree, predatory sexual assault, and a few others. And they did so because those crimes are so heinous, and they understood that for a survivor who is the victim of one of those crimes, that it could that there shouldn't be 
a constraint on when they come forward to seek justice. Should that same logic be applied to sex crimes across the board, felonies and misdemeanors? I think that deserves some real discussion. And I, I can imagine there will be pushback from certain quarters. But I think that we have to understand the dynamics of trauma that results from sexual abuse, why somebody might not be able to come forward in a relatively short amount of time, and take every step we can take to ensure that when they're ready to report, that there's an opportunity for them to do so. Lawsuits that are brought against large institutions or people with deep pockets can result in some sort of financial payout for the plaintiff. But if you're suing someone who is not wealthy or has since passed or an institution that has closed its doors, there's going to be less of an opportunity for that victim to get some sort of financial redress. So does the state have a responsibility or should they just have goodwill, create some sort of victim's fund for those people? You know, there's been talk of that over the years, uh, different proposals put forward, some of which were not legally viable. I think, you know, you touch on a really important point, which is that uh, there are a large number of survivors who were victimized by somebody who has no assets, who have no assets. And they typically have a very difficult time trying to find legal representation because the lawyer looks at the you know, totality of the case and makes a determination that because there's not going to be any kind of financial payout at the end of the day, that it may not be worth it for them to take the case. And, and it may be hard for a survivor to be told at the end of the case, even if they win on the merits, that there's no payout because the person is indigent. So I, you know, that's a problem with our entire civil justice system, and it's, it's, it's far beyond sex crimes. It has to do with any kind of civil tort where somebody is looking to recover something financially, and clearly someone's going to have an easier time when the defendant is somebody with assets or an institution with assets. Um, so I don't know what it could look like for the state to create a, a pot of funding for survivors in those cases. It's something that's been discussed at length, and I think it deserves further discussion. Well, when it comes to a financial remedy for a sex abuse civil case, what is the reason why there should be a monetary payout? Is it about ensuring that a person can afford counseling or therapy? Is it about lost wages? Or is it about making that person, if they are wealthy, pay in a civil court in a way that they might not have paid in criminal court? I mean, the reason somebody sues in civil court is it could be to help reimburse them for expenses related to therapy, related to other expenses incurred as a result of a crime. You know, our civil justice system is predicated on the belief that somebody who has done wrong and if they're found guilty ought to make a, a payment to the person who was harmed. So it can be for all different reasons. And, and that's the difference. In a criminal case, it's the people versus the defendant. Mm -hmm. um, the victim in the case is actually referred to as a complaining witness. That's the term of art in, in our criminal justice system. In a civil case, the lawyer who is representing the victim is representing that victim. Um, and it's really a different dynamic that survivors often experience in civil court versus in a criminal court proceeding. Well, finally, our conversation has been 
revolving solely around the survivor perspective. When you think about the merits of expanding the look back window or just the creation of it in, in the first place, do you think there's any merit to considering the perspective of people who are being the defendants in these lawsuits, especially some of these high-profile cases where there's a lot of media attention when a suit is originally brought and maybe not necessarily as much follow-up to what actually happens in those cases? What we have found is that time and time again, defendants have known they can run out the clock on being held accountable in a court of law because the statute of limitations for so many of these sex crimes was fairly short and in some cases still are. Um, So it's important that somebody who's committed a sex crime be held accountable, whether that's with one day left in the window of something like the Adult Survivors Act or the Child Victims Act or any other time, that somebody shouldn't be able to run out the clock on being held accountable for, for crimes that they committed. So it sounds like you saying the Child Victims Act or the Adult Survivors Act represent uh, an appropriate swinging of the pendulum from a dynamic that really favored uh, the defendants in the past. Well, there's so much that favored. I mean, you know, a defendant could have power and control over that victim's employment or their housing or their immigration status. Um, in the cases of the child of child sex abuse that we saw, I mean, the kids were terrified uh, to be able to come forward and report until they were older, at which point the statute of limitations, of course, had expired. So yes, it is a swinging of the pendulum to be able to give the power back to the person who was harmed uh, to allow them to seek justice in a court of law. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Michael Pollenberg. He's the vice president of government affairs at Safe Horizon. Michael, thank you so much for visiting us in the studio. Thank you so much for having me. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.